0: Well, good morning all. Good to be here with you. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Sterling and I'm a campus pastor here at our, at our Mill Creek campus and I'm so grateful that you've joined us this morning. In fact, if you are new, I want to encourage you just to take like a, a minute or two after the service to swing by our welcome desk. We would love to meet you, to, uh, to just get to know you a bit if you've got a few seconds and if you have any questions about the church, we'd love to, to try to answer those to the best of our ability as well. And I, I want to invite you all to a couple things that we've got going on here in in the life of the church. Uh, the Mill uh, Creek campus is hosting our trivia night here in a couple weeks. Tables for this are already uh, going fairly quick. So we're probably a, a third to halfway full now. So we still have, uh, I don't know, seven or eight tables still available, but would love to have you sign up for that, you can have a team of eight people. Um, it's gonna be dinner included in this, it's gonna be a ton of fun, so whether this is like your small group is doing this together, or this is you inviting some neighbors or some coworkers, um, it's just a blast uh, time together, and it's $10 a person, that includes all the food, um, and of course, uh, the, the bragging rights of being the Mill Creek trivia Champion, of which I have been twice, so. <laughs> I don't just throwing. I know, I know. Have smart friends, people. That's all I'm saying. Um, no, it is a blast, and and we would we would love to have you join us for that. Also, our uh, women's conference is coming up uh, here in the next few weeks. So if you have not signed up for that, invite you to do so. Um, This is a a morning really designed to invest in in you. And I know our women's ministry team has been working hard preparing for this. Um, It it is designed to be a day to refresh and to pour into you, um, to to focus on not only kind of the life-giving word of God, but also developing that passion for God's word. So we're excited for that. Love to have you be a part of, of that as well. Easter extravaganza, is coming up here again so another awesome opportunity we're gonna have one at our Kesslinger campus and then also one at our North Aurora campus so another opportunity to invite your your own little ones kids grandkids neighbors they will love it but i'll tell you as an adult you'll 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 love it as well Um, they do a great job of allowing you to kind of enter into to the story so we're looking forward to that as well And then I wanna just take a minute to celebrate. Um, Can I see, were any of our kiddos here involved? Did anybody have somebody involved in Elevate over the last two weekends? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you did. Yeah, we just wanna say uh, what a great job these kids did. They were were performing um, Shrek the Musical Junior, and we had over 175 kids involved in this. Over the last two weekends, we've had 2,000 plus people come and attend it, and it's just a way for these kids to use their gifts and to honor God. Um, there's singing and there's acting, and, and it is just a joy. And, and I highlight this in part not only to celebrate the kids and the adults who work so hard to put this together, um, but we, we talk a lot about generosity as a church, and sometimes you wonder, okay, how, what does this help create? And this is just one of those things um, where, where kids get connected, they, they feel like they have a place they belong, get to use their gifts and experience that. So we're, we're super grateful uh, for that as, as well. This Thursday, we've got a team heading down to Mexico to serve for a week, so we're excited. We're gonna be praying for them as well. So if you would remember that, um, they leave on Thursday, a men's team heading down there, usually heads down right around this time of year. It's kind of an annual trip and, and uh, with our partners down there. So we're excited for that as well. There's a lot of information there, as always, you can go to chapelstreet.church slash news uh, for those updates and, and more. Uh, last weekend, w- many of you participated in uh, the cultural celebration that is the Super Bowl, right? Um, there's a, a, a some, uh, like, I looked it up, it was an all-time record for uh, viewing and the event, so people show up to, to Watch a little football to, of course, there's like a, a major halftime show that people are always talking about um, and and Taylor Swift sightings, which would get super exciting. Everybody's always like, oh, you know, and, and then, of course, the commercials. Like the commercials now have become like a driving force. And because so many people are um, watching the Super Bowl, then the marketing companies and, and so on, are willing to pay so much to put an ad on a Super Bowl. So I've ranked a couple of my favorites, um, see if these resonated with you at all. I appreciated the one that was by Etsy, uh, where we were, uh, the French gave us the Statue of Liberty and we were trying to decide what to give them, which we landed on a cheese board. Um, and, and, and the French were very excited about it. Like so. I enjoyed that one. I liked the State Farm one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. I think that was aimed at, like, exactly my generation. Like, there was a lot of nostalgia in that, and I just found it funny. Uh, My favorite one from a sheer humor perspective had to be the Dunkin' Donuts commercial with uh, Ben Affleck and Tom Brady, like that one made me genuinely laugh out loud, the the dunkings, especially Matt Damon's role in that one was hilarious to me. And then there was another commercial that was put out by an organization called He Gets Us. I don't know if anybody saw this or not. I think it was relatively early on in the Super Bowl, but it, it had a series of images and videos depicting a variety of different people washing another's feet. Oftentimes, in, in kind of the comparison, the two people, there was sort of a, a built-in cultural sort of um, at odds to it. There was uh, oftentimes like a, a cultural awareness of conflict that was present in that, or, or some kind of degree of, of hierarchy. And interestingly, um, this, this really sort of stirred some things up for people this week, particularly for Christians. Um, he gets us, their, on their website, it says that their goal is to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible. And they do that with intentionally sometimes provocative or uh, um, culturally kind of uh, sensitive commercials that are meant to sort of generate curiosity and, and challenge assumptions. So that, it says, whether you are a Christian or not, you're invited to learn to learn more about the way of Jesus. So on Monday morning, when I was kind of scrolling through uh, social media and, and looking at different things, I noticed some people had some reactions to this. Um, and, and they were all over the map. Um, and, and maybe some of you shared some of those reactions. I don't know. But there was a, a thread that I started to notice at, through some of kind of, I would say, critiques of, of this particular ad, wherein the vision of Jesus and, and vision really kind of in this particular ad of the followers of Jesus, it, the, the ad seemed to offend um, the way in which some people held a specific and personalized version of Jesus, like and and specifically, and I know I'm touching on some, you know, cultural sensitivities here, but particularly sometimes the way he offends our our political preferences, and obviously there's always room for genuine and, and critique and theology and looking at this, but I became a bit discouraged and and. To be frank, I, I think a bit honest, as I look forward to the next nine months and thinking about entering into the political season, there was a part of me that was, was oh boy, here we go again. Because what concerned me was the way in which the critiques seemed to be coming from a perspective of a, a view of Jesus that imparted onto him kind of my preferences my my uh expectations of him and the reality is is that that's not new to today we did not invent that for 2000 years uh christians and and others have been sort of laying on to jesus kind of their own preferences their own opinions and expectations of him so much so that sometimes if we're honest with ourselves it looks a bit more like we are shaping jesus into our image and a little less like we're being shaped into the image of jesus and whenever that's happening that's that's a problem and again i don't say this as if to say there's never room for genuine critique of course there and I'm, I'm talking about a particular kind of of critique i guess and this was Absolutely true during the life and ministry of, of Jesus. Today we're beginning a series entitled Unrecognized King. And we're going to be kind of uh, having a, a, a survey of the Gospel of John, if you will, through a series of events and miracles wherein Jesus' identity and purpose is being revealed. And as his identity and purpose becomes more overt and clear, we we begin to see how people respond and react to him in that. And I think that we'll discover that like like now, at this time, there were, one of the barriers that people had coming to Jesus was their own sort of uh, very human tendency to want to define who Jesus ought to be and what he ought to do, that one of the things that prevented people from recognizing him in his rightful role as the King of kings and the Lord of lords was their own assumptions and ideas and expectations of who they wanted him to be. So before we go to the text this morning, before we dive into John chapter 6, I want to take a moment for us, just as a church family, to lay those down together that in our time together, that that we may encounter the authentic Jesus of the Gospels and that he would continue to shape us to be like him, not us, uh, not shape him to be like us. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just thank you for this time to be in your word. We thank you for um, the patience that you continue to have with your people as you mold and shape us and transform us. We know it's a long-term project that you are about in your church and in your world and so lord um we want to recognize and acknowledge as we enter into your word lord that sometimes we are blinded by our own assumptions of who you are so would you open our eyes to you lord shape us to be like you and it's in your name we pray amen let's turn to john chapter 6 And in our Bibles. Before I read this, I want to just mention a a little bit about the structure of John's gospel here. Because there is, and, and if you remember back to Advent in John chapter 1, we talked a lot about the way John introduces Jesus through a series of different statements. Like he is the word, and he's the light, and he's life, and he's glory, and he's using these very laden terms and he's applying them to Jesus. And so in John chapter 2 through 12, what happens is John recounts these series of events, uh, uh, oftentimes defined by Jesus performing a miracle. Jo- the John's Gospel calls them signs, and then alongside of those statements that Jesus makes about his own identity. In fact, in there there are seven what we call "I am" statements. Jesus takes a, a uh, an imagery, an event, a description of God in the Old Testament and he he really applies it to himself in these in these statements and all along the way this is happening people are there witnessing it they're interacting with it and as they do they respond to this increasingly kind of intensifying awareness and experience and encounter with Jesus and just like today some will respond in belief Some will respond in confusion, be disoriented. There's misunderstandings at times, and some get angry. Some become convinced that he needs to be silenced. And so as this intensifies, you can kind of see John leading us all the way up to to the cross, which is where we'll we'll take this series through our celebration of, of Easter. So I want to pick it up in John chapter six today, and and we're going to be kind of hanging out here, but I'm going to read kind of the middle section of this, and then we're going to bounce back and forth with it. So we're going to pick it up in verse 26, and and you'll feel like you're entering into the the middle of a story here because you are. So let's start there. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you then? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told him, No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now there's there's a lot that happens in, in these texts, and, and a lot, frankly, that, that we're not going to key in on particularly today but i want to really focus on this revelation of of jesus where he looks at the crowd coming to him hungry for him and he says i am the bread of life no one who comes to me will ever be hungry no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty and this entire encounter as i just mentioned it begins at the point of, of a hungry crowd a hungry crowd seeking after something to satisfy them. A hungry crowd looking for something to fill them. In fact, look just a few verses prior to this in verse 22. We we look at this uh, this pursuit of Jesus here. It says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there was only one boat, uh, only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone off alone. So just, just prior to this is Jesus walking on the water. So the crowd's waking up. They're kind of like, Jesus isn't here, but there's a boat that's still here. And we know he didn't get on the boat with his friends, so where has he gone? Verse 23, some of the boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So what the question that we want to wrestle with at the outset of this is why are they so determined to find Jesus? Like, What, what has stirred them up to this point? And the answer is, is simply that he fed them, that, that, that he gave them bread in an extraordinary way. The, the, the immediately preceding context to this is one of the most famous and well-known miracles of Jesus where a crowd had gathered together and, and the disciples noticed it was late in the day and how are we ever going to feed all these people? And if you know the story, there was a, there was a boy in the crowd who simply had a, a, a few, five loaves, barley loaves and I think a couple fish. And Jesus says, give them give him to me. And the disciples literally asks the question, like in verse 8, what, how, how, what are you going to do here with so little? And Jesus feeds the masses. He blesses the food and thousands, 5,000 men, so you're talking probably anywhere from when you count women and children, ten to 15,000 people are fed by Jesus from this, this small meal. It's an obvious and overt miracle. And not only does Jesus feed them, when the whole event is over, he collects 12 baskets of of leftovers so this is the context and now they are looking for jesus pursuing jesus in addition to that the, the the meaning of bread now so it's got this immediate context to it but for the people of israel it also had a historic context to it for the people of israel bread was was far more than just bread you probably noticed i i brought up here this morning this um this is a sharpening stone. It was my grandfather's, my grandpa Dininger's. My grandpa Dininger was a, a, a farmer, a hard worker. He, he worked in a GM plant uh, n- through the night, most of his life and then farmed during the day. And I don't really know when he slept. Um, and, and he had this and you can, I don't know if you can tell or not, as a sharpening stone itself, it, it, it's not really worth a whole lot. It's uh, no longer level. Um, I, I could still remember seeing my grandpa running his, the blade of his knife across this before we would head out to, to work on something. Um, it's beat up, there's a crack running down the middle, and so forth. the usefulness as a tool, it, it doesn't mean much. But to me, what this means is, is far more than the ability to sharpen a blade. This is a representation of his work ethic. It's a representation of all the ways that he would invest himself in the love and care of our family, the way he shepherded us, the way he poured into us. So it's, for me, this this sits in a place not because of its utilitarian purpose, because of the heritage and the representation of what it means. And for the people of Israel, a, a, a piece of bread carried so much weight, so much more than its capacity to fill a belly and to to stifle a hunger. For them, it represented the the covenant and the salvation and redemption that God, that Yahweh, had given to them. So look back in John 6, verse 4 here. Notice the context. John notes, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near so when jesus is doing this miracle among god's people it was during the celebration of passover the annual as many of you will know the annual time of celebrating and remembering the miraculous works of god in which he would free his people from slavery in egypt in the passover the 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 people of israel would eat unleavened bread to remember having to leave egypt in a hurry in the middle of the night and it would remind them of God's faithfulness. So you looked at that bread, you ate that bread and there was more than it's just physical qualities to it. So there's the immediate context of the feeding of the 5,000 hungry people ate together. And then there is also this greater holistic context of the significance of all that bread meant. This is a hungry crowd look at verse 14 after this after jesus has blessed this they've eaten they've collected 12 uh, baskets of leftovers it said when the people saw the sign he had done they said this truly is the prophet who has come into the world the crowd is hungry many of them were were physically hungry you get the the sense from what we just previously read some of them were coming back to discover, to be with Jesus, because they were hoping he was going to do it again. That he would once again miraculously feed them. I think it's evident that others are coming to Jesus because they hope he has a larger and more significant agenda. That they too, like the people of Israel before them, found themselves under occupation from a cruel and, and oppressive government in Rome. Now Jesus performs this miracle where bread is provided to the people. And they said, is this the prophet? Is this this the one that we've been waiting for? We live under this, this cruel government, this tyranny of abusive kingdom. We're longing to be redeemed. We're longing to be set free. They're hungry. And maybe Jesus is going to be the next Moses. Maybe, maybe Yahweh once again has sent someone who is going to free deliver his people and we're so hungry. You begin to see the vision of Jesus that they're forming, that they're shaping. So much so, look at verse 15 now. It says, therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Like Jesus recognizes their hunger and what their hunger is for. That they're they're ready to begin a movement, they're ready to crown him, to be the king of an earthly kingdom, to defeat an earthly opponent. And he removes himself. Because the bread he offers, because the, the bread he is in himself is not to satisfy the hunger pains of an earthly kingdom, but rather of an eternal one. The crowd came to the right person, but for the wrong reasons. We were working on this together as a, as a preaching team, and uh, J.J. Atide, who is one of our pastoral residents here at Chapel Street, and specifically he's a part of the Capilla, the Spanish-speaking service that meets at South Street and is going to launch full-time uh, weekly beginning on Easter And he mentioned this, he said, when we focus on the wrong things, we always ask the wrong questions. Let's take a moment of reflection here. Let's ask ourselves the question, what what am I hungry for? What are you hungry for? And how, how does what you hunger for inform your view of Jesus? How do I bring those expectations, those assumptions to him? Let's look then at how Jesus responds as as this, this crowd moves to crown him as, as king to mobilize this military movement around him. And the, and the second thing we see here is then the king's offer. The king's offer. I... Uh, my same grandfather who um, who used the sharpening stone, one Christmas when I was really little, um, we went out to my great-grandmother's house, the farm that he grew up on, and lived on North Central Ohio. And my brothers and my cousins and I were all playing outside. It was wintertime, it was cold. If you've ever been out like on a farm at wintertime, there's no sort of like barrier to the wind. And, and I was a little kid and I stayed out too long to the point where my hands just got frozen. And I came inside and I, I had tears in my eyes because they were just hurting so bad. And, and I remember my grandpa taking me to the bathroom sink to start to warm up my hands and he turned on the cold water. And I, I began to cry all the more because I, in my little brain, I said, that's not what I need. I need, I need the hot water, that's what's gonna warm me up. But he understood that the temperature of my hands and the temperature of that water, the difference between those wouldn't actually relieve my pain, but it would cause more pain. So he started with kind of room temperature, tepid tap water and began to warm them up over time. And I I I remember fighting him on this because I wanted him to give me what I thought I needed, but he understood something greater. He He understood that there was a need that I had. Now look again at this encounter here. Verse 26. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, we're going to talk a bit more about that, but because you ate the loaves and were filled, like you want me to do it again, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the son of man will give you, because God the father has set his seal of approval on him, and then jump down to verse 34 and 35, After this ongoing discussion, they say, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. In response to the the crowd's request of Jesus, Jesus essentially says to them, you're missing the point. You're missing what I offer you. You're coming to me and with this desire to satisfy a physical hunger or this desire to satisfy a, a political hunger. And Jesus says, you're missing it. Jesus' answer in, in verses 35 here, they, it carries like this, this this layers of meaning as he reveals who he ultimately is. Throughout John, we're gonna look at these I am statements and just the significance of Jesus' phrasing here where he keeps repeatedly saying, I am, right? There, there's a, a obvious sort of list, linguistic English expression, okay, I am this, I am that. But if if you grew up with the familiarity of the, the old covenant of the, the old testament, and you knew how how that phrase, I am, carried. Um, this this covenant identity of God when Moses was at the burning bush, when Moses had called him to go into Egypt to free his people. You'll remember he asked the question because he's nervous, because he, he feels like he doesn't have what it takes. He asked God the question, well, who do I tell him sent me? And in chapter 3 of, of, of Exodus, in verse 14, God's answer to that is simply tell them I am sent you, the one who is. And so now Jesus, as he's beginning to explain himself, reveal himself, he keeps using this phrasing. In fact, he used it just moments before when he was walking on the water. We're not gonna go there in John chapter six, but if you look at the verses between the feeding of the 5,000 and this conversation, Jesus has this event where he's walking on the water and the disciples essentially ask. Who, who are you out there? They're, they're afraid. And Jesus' response is, Ego ame. It is I. He's using the same phrase, I am. He keeps pulling them back into this direct connection to his deity, to the covenant name of God. And he's, he's attaching it to himself. And he says, I am the bread of life. The bread, of, the bread of Passover, the bread of, uh, of manna that was provided in, in the desert. These were all examples of God's provision and salvation. They were The bread was synonymous with life itself. And so now Jesus is offering himself not as bread to fill a physical hunger, but bread that fills a spiritual hunger. He is God's provision for salvation. At the outset of of Jesus' description of the kingdom of God in the gospel of Matthew, uh, sometimes uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I refer to it as like his kingdom manifesto. This is what it's like in my kingdom. You remember that Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who know they're hungry, know their spiritual need, Right? For they will be filled. And then in John, he says here, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Right? That, that, that hunger, that thirst that Jesus is describing is our need to be in right relationship with our Creator. And Jesus saying, that, that is satisfied in me. That is why, in fact, He came. Look at verse 40 again. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. This is who I am. This is why I came. This is the King's offer, his invitation to place our trust in Him so that we would have life. Again, the the idea of believe is more than just sort of mental uh, assent to an idea. It's, it's placing our faith and trust in him because he's our provision and he is our salvation. He's the definition of life and he extends the invitation and says, believe in me. Believe in me. Lastly, then real quickly, I just want to take note of some of the responses of the people here. The responses of, of the people. Some of them heard this And immediately kind of went into that that who does he think he is mode like they grumbled right look at verses 41 and 42 it says therefore the jews started complaining about him because he said i am the bread of life that came down from heaven they were saying isn't this jesus the son of joseph whose father and mother we know how can he now say i have come down from heaven Right? From, from the very outset, these statements of Jesus, they become something of, of a dividing line. There are those who are going to hear Jesus reveal his identity, and they are going to be offended by it. Like We, don't, we, we know your parents. Like, we, we know Mary and, and Joseph. We, kn- we know that you're from Nazareth, right? And to them, Jesus is—he is, keeps answering throughout this gospel. You're missing the signs. You're missing what's unfolding all around you. God revealed to you through His prophets what it's going to look like when the Savior comes, and you're missing it. And and this division is going to continue to grow, and it's going to continue to intensify all the way to the cross. Others hear the words of Jesus, and and they simply leave. In fact, at the end of, of Mark's gospel, Jesus goes into more description of what it means to take his life into ours. And to be completely frank, when you read it, it sounds difficult. He talks about eating his body and drinking his blood, and people are like, what? And and, and this is their response in, in verse... Um, 60 now of chapter six he says therefore many of his disciples heard this and they said this teaching is hard who can accept it in verse 66 from that moment many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him they just said this is too much right their, their vision of jesus with his his description of what this means like what we came to you for, what what we desire from you, these things aren't lining up. And they go home. They wanted to be fed. They wanted their bellies to be full. They wanted him to leave a movement that was going to overthrow Rome and to free the people. They had these expectations and assumptions that they're placing on Jesus and they're missing the fullness of who he is. And they leave. And my my hope, the invitation of this entire series that we're in, this this unrecognized king that we're in together, is, is that this whole series would be about responding to the real Jesus, the claims he makes about himself, not the one that we wish we had. And I think that's going to confront us at times. But then thirdly, some stayed and believed. Verse 68 then. So in verse 67, Jesus says to the 12, are are you guys going to leave also? And this is Peter's response in verse 68. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, their hunger and their thirst for righteousness, their greatest need to be set right before a perfect and holy God could only be satisfied in Jesus. And so I don't even think at this point in time, and we know that from reading the Gospels, that they that f- understanding of him is not fully developed. There's going to be lots of confusion and questions, but they stayed. And ultimately, the hunger of their souls was satisfied in him. So the question remains, what are we hungry? Later, with with Jesus' disciples, it would once again be Passover. And Jesus would be gathered with them around the table, and this time, this is in the end of the Gospel of John, it's just prior to going to the cross. And in that Passover meal, Jesus would once again take bread, and he would give it to his disciples, and he would say, this is my body that I'm given for you. And he took the cup and he handed them the cup, the wine, and he said, this is the promise, the new covenant of my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. This month, oftentimes, not oftentimes, regularly, we will um, celebrate, communion together at the beginning of, of the month. And yet we knew we were coming up to this conversation where Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. And we wanted to, we wanted to intentionally create time this morning to come to the table, to experience Again, the, the redemption and the salvation that he offered in his person. And so this morning we actually did something a little bit different. Um instead of using the, the, the wafers um and the unleavened bread that we often do, today we, we used a more substantial bread because we want to taste and see that that our Lord is is good. And so in just a few moments, um I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us and I'll come down and I'll set out the elements. The Lord's table. Again, if you're new with us, uh, we teach that the table doesn't belong to Chapel Street. This is the table of Jesus Christ. If you've placed your faith in Him for the forgiveness of sins, you're welcome to participate with us. Um, if that's not where you're at, wonderful. By the way, we're we're so glad you're here. But I would I would ask that you would just allow this to be a a witness, a testimony of kind of what we have come to believe about Jesus what what we are convicted is true about him and so you can just kind of remain in your seat and take this in and as the worship team plays um, you can take a moment to reflect and prepare your hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to to speak and move and then when you're ready um, you can go to the center aisle and, and you'll come down the elements will be here waiting for you. You can take those back to your seat and in and, and your own uh, heart and mind when you're ready, you can, you can receive the body and the blood. Um, we do, by the way, if, if, um, if you have a gluten allergy, we have non-gluten um, wafers available as well. So if that's an issue, uh, just know that we have uh, uh, accounted for that. And if you're unable to come forward, just would you raise your hand? One of our ushers will come and serve you in your seat as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we have the opportunity to respond by coming to your table this morning. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us in this space. And I pray that you would remind us again that it is in you that the greatest need of our soul is satisfied. And that we experience that when we choose to believe in you, we place our faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has not yet done that, Lord, that you would be stirring and moving in them even now. Lord, convince them through your Holy Spirit that what you offer is for them and they need to just receive it as they place their faith in you. God, I pray that you would meet us at the table as we take this bread and we take this cup. Remind us of what you have accomplished on our behalf. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, as I offer the, the benediction, um, real quickly, I just want to pray for our team that's that's leaving for Mexico on Thursday. So would you pray with me and then I'll conclude with the benediction. Father, we do just ask that you would go before this this group that's heading down on Thursday. And Lord, that yeah, the the work that your church is doing um in the Baja Peninsula the way that you are building your kingdom there that we would have an opportunity to learn from to grow from to be a part of Lord I pray that that our presence there would be encouraging to those who are are doing your work day in and day out Lord go before them and now for your church here Lord send us in your name that we would find our sustenance, our salvation and redemption in you And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.